Turn with me, please, to Proverbs chapter 16 for our Bible study this morning. Proverbs chapter 16. And uh, let's look at verse 5. Keep your Bibles handy, and especially in the book of Proverbs, there's just a lot of truth there that I want to uh, share with you this morning. But it says in Proverbs 16 and verse 5, everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though hand join in hand, he shall not be unpunished. Over the last few weeks, we have been talking about a Christian worldview. And we've talked about how we can't, uh, anyone who is a friend of the world is an enemy with God. The Bible says, love not the world, neither things that are in the world. The Bible says, be not conformed to this world. And whenever we started looking in a little more detail, we found out and discovered that one of the things that shapes an ungodly worldview is the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And most of us understand what, you know, what the Bible talks about. And I, I shared a message about that truth, about the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh. We get that. But sometimes we don't understand how the pride of life is a specific sin that the Bible says is an abomination unto God. Now, there's not many sins in the Bible that are singled out that where it says that that sin is a particular abomination to the Lord. As a matter of fact, I shared with you last week in our study that these six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination, it says in another passage in Proverbs, and the very first one on that list is a proud look. So today I come to bring to you part three of a message about the sin of pride. And I want us to see how devastating this sin is. You know, the Bible says that God specifically hates that sin. And one of the reasons, I believe, is because really that sin of, that sin of pride is the seed from which all, many other sins sprout. For example, it is the sin of pride that made the devil the devil. You remember God created Lucifer? He was a beautiful angel. He was blessed above all angels. And, and all of a sudden, he lifted his heart up against the Lord, and he became full of pride. And it was because of that that he was cast out of heaven. And, the, and Lucifer, that beautiful angelic being, became Satan, the devil. It was the sin of pride that made Lucifer the devil. It was the sin of pride that brought sin into the human race. It was that temptation that God gave, uh, pardon me, that the serpent gave to Adam and Eve whenever the serpent said, don't you want to be like God? Don't you want your eyes opened? In other words, it, 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 all of a sudden, they, it was that, yes, I want to be like God. It was that sin of pride that ushered sin into the human race. And in this passage, it says that uh, in Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 5, everyone that is proud in heart. Now, I want us to think about that for just a moment because that's really where pride is, is found. And that's why it demonstrates our depravity. Now, the word depravity means moral corruption. And, and, and few sins really personify 
that depravity that we're born with, that Adamic nature that we have when we're born, that self-centered, egocentric, narcissistic, all where we take Jesus off the throne and we put ourselves on the throne. Few sins personify that anymore than the sin of, of pride. Um, it says in Romans 12, verse 3, don't let for a man not to think more highly of himself than he ought. You know, you've heard the old saying, if I could buy him for what he's worth and sell him for what he thinks he's worth, I'd be a rich man. You've heard that saying? Yeah, I, I, my mother-in-law used to say that sometimes. That's another sermon. That's, I'm preaching to y'all today. Not, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> But you know how interesting it is that some people base their worthiness in, in the eyes of the Lord on certain do's and don'ts. And, and you know, this is really an area that uh, uh, people can be self-righteous about, you know. Whenever we start comparing ourselves to other people and we start comparing ourselves to certain do's and don'ts that we've imagined in our mind are the things that make us right before God, you know, uh, I, I, I'm not all that bad, I don't steal, I don't lie, I hadn't murdered anybody, don't commit adultery, hadn't raped, hadn't, you know, hadn't done all these things. We start, you know, um, I, I don't smoke, I don't curse, I don't gamble, I don't chew, I don't drink, and I don't date the girls that do, right? You know, I must be a, I must be a pretty good person. But I've heard people evaluate themselves on these do's and don'ts, and they sort of get a proud self-righteousness about him. I'm a good family man. I'm a good church man. I'm a good deacon. I'm a good, I'm a, I'm a good choir member. I'm a good church member uh, or whatever. But, but what we need to understand about this sin, and the reason I, I want to share this with you is because I want to expose the strategy of the devil. This is a sin that begins in the heart. It says, everyone that is proud in heart. In other words, this sin does not have to reach the hands and the feet. It's in the heart. And it's just that pride in the heart that the Bible says is an abomination unto the Lord. Now, in, in the book of Proverbs, he talks a lot about this particular sin, but there's a wonderful illustration of what he's talking about in Proverbs chapter 21. So turn your Bibles uh, just a couple of pages to Proverbs chapter 21, and look what he says in verse four. A high look and a proud heart and the plowing of the wicked is sin. Now, we understand. I mean, this is an incredible illustration that he's given to us. Because we understand that a high look, you know, haughty. You've seen people who just have that haughty. I've seen people who could strut sitting down. You ever seen anybody like that? Uh, <laughs> you know, we get that. We get that high look and that proud heart. But then he says, and the plowing of the wicked is sin. In other words, he's saying here, you can sin just by plowing a field. Oh, 
Now, farmers, uh, he uses here the illustration of a farmer. And can you imagine anyone so dependent on God's provision as a farmer? Oh, <laughs> you know, farmers, farmers are honorable people. You know, for the most part, they're, they, they are just, you know, they're, they're, they're hardworking, wonderful people. I heard, I did hear about one farmer, though, that uh, was going through a rough time and 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 he you know he never had he never thought to do bad things but but all but all of a sudden he was just going under financially and having a hard time paying his bills and the crops had failed and he was just desperate and he decided to rob a bank and uh, and he wasn't used to things you know robbing stealing things like that but that he just seemed like that was his only uh, alternative and so he he came up with a plan to rob a bank and he rehearsed it over and over in his mind he got a gun he got a bag he got this and and he just rehearsed everything that he said but he was so nervous when he got to the teller of the bank he handed her the gun he pointed the bag at her and he said don't 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 stick with me this is a mess up <laughs> you know Farmers are not like that. They're not wired to do bad things. That's just not part of, you know, I can't think of anything more American than a farmer. And they are so dependent on the Lord. And most of them acknowledge God. You know, I've pastored farmers all through the years. And, um, you know, when I was... Uh, and when I was in youth ministry years ago, I pastored down in Andalusia. And uh, I had folks in my church, a man that owned, and a lot of people that worked for him, that owned this big hog farm. I've told you all about that before. You know, he had this beautiful farm, and these hogs never got muddy. I mean, he had these nice facilities. He had concrete. And I told you we called it the Hogaday Inn, right? I mean, it was just, uh, he had this hog farm. But then I went to Mississippi as in seminary, and I pastored this church in, in South Mississippi, and uh, and most everybody in the church either owned or worked on a dairy farm. So I've, I've, I've pastored hog farmers and dairy farmers, and then I went to South Alabama, and they had tree farms. They had thousands of acres where they just raised trees. And here we've got farmers in our church that are, you know, they pretty much grain farmers. And, and, and my dad was a farmer uh, in, in his uh, early, early adult life and his teenage years, his daddy, my granddaddy was a sharecropper. I mean, farmers are just hardworking guys. And they recognize more than most of us how dependent daily bread is on the grace and the goodness of the Lord. I mean, they understand that they need God to provide the sunshine and they need him to provide the rain. And, and, and so most of them are dependent on the Lord. But for whatever reason, the pro writer of Proverbs used this illustration of a farmer. Now, apparently this farmer, because he said, a high look, a proud heart, and the plowing of the wicked is sin. So here he is using the illustration of a farmer who does not acknowledge God, maybe a pagan farmer. Uh, here's a guy that's got this self-sufficient attitude. You know, I can just picture what the Lord is saying here. Uh, here's this man, he's, uh, this farm, he's got the finest farm equipment. He's got scientifically engineered fertilizer and, and seed and, and uh, he's got the best soil and the finest equipment and the most land, the best money can buy. And his attitude is, you know, I'm a hard worker. I've got all this equipment, seed and fertilizer. 
I don't need God. And he just goes and he plows his field. He's not robbing a bank. He's not committing adultery. He's not murdering someone. He's just plowing a field. That's all. Just plowing a field. And the Bible says he is sinning. He's sinning just by plowing a field. Why? Why is that? It's because there's something in his heart that's not right. He's not acknowledging that God is the giver of all good things. Everything he touches is contaminated. Do you know you could sin by just plowing a field? Do you know you could sin by teaching a Sunday school class? Did you know you could sin by singing in the choir with the praise team? Did you know you could sin sitting in the pew? Did you know you could sin preaching a sermon? If you do it with something wrong in your heart, with pride, with self-sufficiency, with independence from God. I recognize when I preach that all is vain unless the spirit of the Holy One comes down. But if I were working in a mill or in an office, on the job somewhere, it would be the same. I had a man tell me one time, many years ago, many years ago, in my early years of my pastorate. I had a man tell me one time, a very wealthy, affluent man. He said, you know, I earned what I have. I pulled myself up by my own bootstraps. He said, I got what I have because I worked hard. We were talking, I was trying to talk with him about how God had blessed him. He said, man, he said, I'm, I, I have what I have because I worked hard. And he just didn't get it. He thought it was all about him. That he didn't need God. And you know, I, I, I couldn't help it, but, and I tried to do it in, in as loving way as I knew to say it. But I asked him, I said, sir, let me ask you this. You say you didn't need God, God didn't help you, you did it all on your own, you pulled yourself up by your own bootstraps, you worked hard to achieve what you've achieved. Let me ask you this. While you were doing all that, whose air did you breathe? Whose water did you drink? In other words, we, folks, we, we have nothing, we can do nothing without God's grace, without God's goodness, without God's provision. And for us to assume a position in life that we don't need God, it doesn't matter what we do, it's contaminated and it is sin before God, even plowing a field. Do you understand what he's saying? 
a high look and a proud heart. You know, that's the problem with that rich young ruler that came to Jesus and Jesus said, sell whatsoever you have and, and follow me. And the Bible says he went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. He, he, had, the, he had this independent independency from God. But here's what Jesus did. Jesus looked at that man's heart and he saw what the heart of the problem is. The problem with the human race is, is the heart. The heart is the heart of the problem. You see, God doesn't look at man like we do. He, he looks at our hearts, and that's what I want us to do, church, is to evaluate who we are and whose we are and look at our hearts. Let me share this verse with you. You can put it on the screen, Dustin. 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 7. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. We, we look at the outward appearance. God, you know, we evaluate people by their do's and don'ts and, you know, and we get self-righteous about our do's and don'ts. But, but, you know, God looks at a man at a person's heart. Have you ever, uh, have you ever eaten an apple and just as you're about to, you know, take a bite out of that apple, you saw a hole in the apple? You ever seen a hole in an apple? A wormhole, <laughs> and and you think to yourself, uh, man, I don't want to, I don't want to eat this because there's a worm inside of it. Let me tell you something. If there's a wormhole in an apple, let me give you some good news. Chances are there's no worm in there. Now I don't know if I'd still eat it, <laughs> but chances are th there's not a worm in it. If you see a a wormhole in an apple. Because the hole was not made by the worm going in. The hole was made by the worm going out. See, there was a day that apple was just a little blossom. And, and uh, there, there was some insect that came along and deposited a little larva, a little egg into that blossom. And then that blossom developed into an apple before... That deposit from that insect exited. So the insect wakes up, the little worm wakes up and says, Whoa, an apple grew around me. I got to get out of here. And it leaves the apple. It was born in the apple. The egg was laid in the blossom. The blossom became an apple. The egg hatched and it ate its way out. And folks, that's the way pride is. We're born, pride is born in the heart and we're born with pride in our heart. This is what Jesus said. Go to Mark chapter seven and see what Jesus says about this in verse 14. And when he had called all the people unto him, he said unto them, hearken unto me every one of you and understand there is nothing from without a man that entering into him can defile him, but the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile the man. If any man have an ear, let him hear. 
It's what comes out of the heart. And pride comes out of the heart. And, and you know, whenever it comes out, listen, see, this is why it's the seed of so many other sins, why it's an abomination to the Lord, why the Bible says these six things that the Lord hate, and the first on the list is a proud look. It's because whenever that pride comes out of the heart like the worm coming out of an apple, it reveals itself in many different ways. Did you know that if you have an unforgiving spirit, if someone's wronged you and you just can't find the, any way to forgive them, that could be a pride coming out. Uh, when pride comes to the surface, it can come to the surface as getting, when you get your feelings hurt all the time and, and you wear your feelings on your sleeve. Whenever you, have a, whenever you refuse to have a teachable spirit, can anybody tell you anything or teach you anything? Because you know it all. That, that's, that's pride coming out of the heart. If you have a critical spirit, if, if you're just negative and critical of other people, and it, it, that can be pride coming out of the heart. If you refuse to apologize whenever you're wrong or you've wronged someone, that could be pride just coming to the surface. Because it comes out of the heart. This is what Ezekiel said in um, Ezekiel chapter 11. And um, I'm on, you can just read this on the screen and Maybe I can get there a little quicker than you. But uh, in Ezekiel chapter 11, listen to this. Verse 19. I will give them one heart. I will, give a new, I will put a new spirit within you. I will take the stony heart out of their flesh. I will give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my ordinances and do them and they shall be my people and I will be their God. You know what God's saying? He's saying he wants to give you a new heart. See, if you do not know the Lord as your personal Savior and if, if, if you have self on the throne of your life instead of Jesus on the throne of your life, you need heart surgery. I'm talking about spiritual You know, that rich young ruler, he, he kept what he wanted, but he, he lost what he needed. You see, this sin of pride, it reveals itself in so many different ways. It can ruin a nation. It can ruin a church. It can ruin a home. I tell you, as I was studying this subject, something interesting came, uh, you know, I, I became aware of something quite interesting. Did you know that every argument, every divisive encounter, every division, every strife, every war, every divorce, every division 
of any kind has its source in this sin. And that's why God, is, he says it's an abomination. You say, Brother Gary, where do you get that? Well, look in Proverbs chapter 13. Let's go back to Proverbs. And I just want you to see, this is an incredible thought. I just want to show you how, I don't want to just speak in a, in a way that is, is not connecting with our everyday life. I want you to see how this affects us. And in Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 10, it says, Only by pride cometh contention, but with the well-advised is wisdom. It, it, this verse is saying that contention comes, that is division, because every war begins with pride, every argument, every church fuss, every, every home argument, division, it all, start, it all has its roots in pride. You say, well, now, Pastor, I have a lot of problems, but it, they really have nothing to do with pride. Well, you know what? It may not have anything to do with pride in the sense of that particular problem. Let me tell you what pride does. Pride doesn't necessarily cause all of our problems. It just keeps us from solving them. There, there's no problem too big to solve. There's just people too, too little to solve them. The reason so many problems are not solved between nations and husbands and wives and church members is because we attack each other rather than the problem. The Bible says only by pride cometh contention. Let me see if I can help us understand it a little better. Did you know that in most homes, I'll just bring it down to where we live. In, in most homes, there are two kingdoms. In some homes, there's more kingdoms than that. There's three or four kingdoms. <laughs> but, but in most homes, there are two kingdoms. Let's say, let's just say Mary, not our Mary, but any Mary, a Mary, she sits on the throne of her life. She's egocentric. She's self-centered. It's, it's all about her. And she marries James. And James sits on the throne of his life. He's egocentric. He's self-centered. It's all about him. So what you have in this home is you have Queen Mary... And you have King James. And they're in a relationship. Now, they've started wrong because they, they, start, they start this relationship with, with what can I get out of it? What, it's all about me. I've told you before that most marriages are... Um, most couples approach marriage, and I, I, I've shared this with you before, but they approach marriage like two ticks on a dog. Now, I'm going to give some profound marriage counseling here, okay? If you come to me for marriage counseling, this is sort of what you're going to hear, okay? But, but they, approach, they approach their relationship like two ticks on a dog. Do you know why a tick is on a dog? There's only one reason why a tick is on a dog. And that's to get everything out of that dog it can. 
But and a lot of couples come to marriage like that. Like, I want to get everything out of this I can. But the only problem with marriage is you've got two ticks and no dog. <laughs> and so it's like, we, we're gonna get, I'm going to get everything I can out of this. So, so Queen Mary, she marries King James. And they move into an apartment or a home or a mobile home or wherever. And, and before long, Queen Mary and King James get into an argument. And the reason they're in that argument, according to Scripture, is all contention begins with pride, is because of pride. And both of them refuse to give in. Queen Mary, I'll, I, I, I'm right about this. I'm not changing my mind. This is a, King James. I'm right about this. I'm not changing. I'm not asking for forgiveness. I'm not apologizing. I'm not. And it can be a cold war. And they stand their ground or it can be a hot war. Before long, King James throws a fit and Queen Mary throws a frying pan. <laughs> and instead of holy matrimony, you got holy war. And it all starts with pride. And, and it won't survive, not happily. Uh, they may not walk out on the marriage, but the marriage may walk out on them. And Jesus said, a house divided against itself shall not stand. But now if Jesus is the Lord in Mary's life, and if Jesus is the Lord in James's life, the Jesus in Mary is not going to contend with the Jesus in James. It's just a matter of who's on the throne of, of our life. And pride reveals itself in all these ugly ways. The same is true in the church. I, only by pride cometh contention. And, and that's why we work so hard to protect the unity and the harmony. Because I tell you, the devil would rather get folks to complain and criticize and start division in a church than sell a carload of whiskey any day. It's a destructive, deceptive sin that begins in the heart. A proud look and the plowing of the wicked is sin. The Bible says that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. There's some more truths about this sin and how it affects our lives that I want to share with you in our message next Sunday, the Lord willing. But let me ask you to bow your heads right now. And I just want you to examine your heart. You see, Jesus can give you a new heart. King David, the Bible says, prayed in Psalm 51, the Bible says he prayed, Lord, he recognized that he had some sins in his life that needed to be dealt with. And he said, Lord, create in me a clean heart. 
You could say that to the Lord right now. Create, Lord, in me a clean heart. The Lord will do that. You ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, to forgive you of your sins. And the Bible says he will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And we just need to be sensitive to this sin that's such an abomination to the Lord and that can cause so much hurt and harm in our lives, in our homes, in our churches, even in our nations.